0: Welcome to the Home Theater United podcast. My name is Brian Dobbs and I'm still Sam Poston. <laughs> still Sam Poston. <laughs> so, okay, I feel like uh, all right. First of all, <clears throat> goodness. <laughs> are you home, Brian? I am back home. <laughs> I'm I've, I've settled wow. back in. Forgive my uh my brain my scatterbrain for the moment because I'm like, do I do I announce the, the title of the show or do I just start talking about like reconnection? Okay. So, Today, Sam, yeah, is a very special day. Well,
1: not as special as last time, but it's still pretty special, Brian. It,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. The last time was awesome because yep. uh, we we got a chance to do it in your uh, home studio, we which did we're going to talk just a, a, a little <laughs> bit more about. Um, but today we're going to be talking about directors, okay? And we got a couple of guests joining yeah. us tonight, Sam. Some repeats, Brian. Yeah. Some, uh, some, some returning champions here. Yep. So, uh, I'm having a, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to this cause I, I wanted to just open this up. Um, cause, cause I have my favorites you know, directors and I, and I have my perspectives on, on directors and I'm sure you do too, but, mm-hmm. uh, I, I want this to be just a fun, casual conversation.
1: Yeah. We're going to kind of do it, round table style, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, of course. So, um, should should we, should we uh, do some reconnection points first?
1: I uh, want to say who's on first?
0: Oh, Let them all right. Say sure. hi? So joining us tonight is Todd Irwin and Neil Middlemiss. Say hello guys. Hello. Hello.
1: Welcome back gentlemen. Mhm. Good to be here.
0: So uh so as some of you might know, uh, I went out to Maryland and got a chance to uh, visit Sam again, which is always nice. Um, (laughs) So, Sam, well, one of my main concerns was uh, leaving your place with all those movies that you gave me. (laughs) Did the TSA let you through, Brian? Oh, I I got two funny things. So, So Sam was gracious enough to let me comb through his movie collection and not only take movies he was getting rid of, but go through his 4Ks and take, like, the Blu-ray with me because, you know, you only need one of them. And it's funny because, Sam, when I got to my parents' house, my dad started combing through all the movies that I brought home from your place, brought brought there from your place. And so he was going through the Blu-rays and taking the DVDs.
1: (laughs) That's awesome. It's like the human centipede of discs.
2: (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he starts going through my bags so it's i think i just brought them in paper bags and it's like oh hey I haven't you know nice to see you. i haven't seen you in a while oh hey what's that movies let me go let me start immediately <laughs> going through them nice so, is this something that you've done before t- to just give him the dvds yeah, yeah, I'm yeah sure but okay. um you know like him and i that's just that that's where i get my fascination in local sure. movies that's so awesome. it's just like anyway um but i was concerned sam that yeah, my the weight of my bags getting back <laughs> on the airplane would be too much because you yeah. know Southwest, has got that like, or I guess they all do, have that fifty pound weight limit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and flying out to Maryland, I was like forty eight and a half pounds. Oh, okay. So I packed them all in there, man. It was like I don't know Rubik's cube, Q- not like Tetris, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I finally get to the airport, BWI, fly back. And I'm like, okay, the moment of truth, because I had no way of weighing it. And the, my big suitcase ended up being like 51 and a half, maybe oh. 52. But the guy—I don't know—it was my lucky day. The guy didn't say anything. He just said, "Put your other one up here," and it was like 47, 48. So I think he just averaged out average. and just waved me through. Nice. So I don't don't know if that's protocol or what, but I got Mm -hmm. home because I was like, I don't want to have to spend like 50 bucks to get, bring home these DVDs. (laughs) $4
1: worth of DVDs. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It wouldn't have really made it
0: worth it to me. I guess I could have. So anyway.
1: Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. (laughs) I see here that you have uh, an update on your scariest movie too, Brian. Why don't you tell us about that?
0: This completely slipped my mind and maybe it's because it scarred me so bad Back in the day, I did have a terrible experience, not terrible, but I, you know, the, the ring was my scariest movie. Right. Okay. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And and that truly frightened me. But what hit me even harder was the Blair Witch Project.
1: Oh, oh, you actually bought into it, huh?
0: Yes. Now this was back in high school. I went Mm -hmm. to go see it with my friend Jeff and we watched it and there wasn't you know, the internet back then as it is today. So viral marketing was off the you know, chain. The, the, the concept had yet, yet to really become mainstream. And so <clears throat> I went to go see it and I had no context for it whatsoever. Right. So I, I walk out of it. I'm like, I am scared shitless because how how did I didn't know what the concept of found footage was. Like that was mm-hmm. a that's a style now. Yeah. Right? But back then it just was like, oh, my God, did they did they just really find this video camera? Wow. So for like two days, I was scared out of my mind about this. I'm like, how <laughs> come no one's talking about this? Who, where are working... these
1: missing people? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Like, how do they release this in the movie theater? So then I went to the pool store where I was working and my uh, and the owners there. One of them was like. Oh, uh, yeah, I saw them on daytime television, like a talk <laughs> show. It, it was just a movie. They were Ope, just actors. Oprah like, had them on. <laughs> you've got to be kidding me. Are you serious? It was all fake? Yeah. it's just a movie? Oh. So, but that scared me, dude. It hit me
1: hard. I mean, that's about know? the most authentic movie experience I've ever heard of, Brian. So, man, I mean, cherish that one. That's, that's pretty awesome. For me, I think it was... Uh, uh an example of like the the first you know clips were really coming to the internet at that point and so I was truly wired in on that stuff so we we Mm. you know we knew all the backstory and that it was you know Mm -hmm. that they were going to market it like it was you know a real deal but everybody knew that it wasn't so see I wasn't clued in man I was just
0: it was beyond me.
1: That's awesome. And that you can have a real experience like that. That that's great. I wish, uh, I mean, I wish more people had that experience for sure.
0: Well, you know, ever since then, it, walking through the woods now like (laughs) yeah just i mean it's it's impossible not to make the reference of Mm -hmm. the little stick figures hanging from the trees you know what i mean yeah it's just a creepy part of the woods like that's that's immediately where my mind goes to and me and my wife joke about it too but
1: i mean that they did that way better than even true detective did right because i mean that was a whole deal in true detective so
2: god
0: i want to go back and watch true detective now that was just don't
1: watch the last episode
0: and it, it's the greatest thing ever.
1: I, I, I'm on my own on that one. I. I everybody disagrees with me, but I'm, I'm okay with it.
0: How, how do you end a perfect season? Like, how. how what, what ending tough. could you possibly?
1: On, on that one, I don't know. But, you know, there are series that have perfect endings, and maybe that's a show. But, mm. I mean, for me, Breaking Bad has one of the best endings of all times. You know, M.A.S.H., mm you know mash mm-hmm. um, because mm-hmm. i was one of the people that watched that live you know it was like the, the biggest audience ever so mm-hmm. i must have been mm-hmm. like eight years old or something dumb like that and got yeah. caught up in the hype so
0: mm-hmm. all right so i'm i'm trying not to look at the uh okay the, so the, we'll, we'll jump to that right now because
1: because it's it's related so I, for those that listen to the show, you know that my family was worried about me giving rid of my Blu-rays that uh, that turns out it was just you know the dupes and things that I've upgraded. Brian, I got rid of over 500 discs and didn't get a penny for them. <laughs> what? what did
0: you I, end I up get, doing with them?
1: I got to say about 25% went to friends and family and that made me super, super happy. Yeah. And, um, one of the guys was a friend of a friend who came over and he picked out about, you know, 30 of his, you know, 30 discs of stuff that he wanted to, to watch. And he says, uh, what are you going to do with the rest of them? I was like, I don't know. People are saying to take them to Goodwill or, you know, put them up. I just don't have the energy for it. And he goes, "Yeah. well, I got a buddy who's kind of housebound and he's a collector and he will, you know, he will, f- you know, get rid of everything on Craigslist if you just want to give them to him. I'm like, well, I'd rather him go to somebody I know than just the randos over it at, um, at, uh, Goodwill. So I, I helped him carry like six boxes to his car and they all went to his buddy and, wow. and good luck to him, man. If he's, if he's able to turn a profit from zero into whatever, that's all found money for him. So that makes me super happy that it's going to him and not Goodwill. <sighs>
0: Yeah, dude, that's, it's always a good feeling when, you know, you can pass it on to someone who might value it, you know, Mm -hmm. and you don't have to just trash it or something.
1: And you you might've seen this, Brian, but I don't know if uh, the listeners know, but I got a new projector now.
0: Okay. So the last I saw, (laughs) Sam, was that you were having some alignment issues. Is that related? Yeah.
1: So, so as it turns out, me and my dad are not as good a home theater installers as we thought we were, um, we went, I wound up uh, taking the mount down that my dad and I put up and I put a new mount on and it was misaligned exactly the same way the misalignment that my dad and I had put the old one up. Um, but this one had three axes of rotation. So there's pitch, yaw, and rotation. And so the rotation was off like two degrees and I, I twisted it the one way that i thought would make sense and it it didn't seem to do anything and people on avs and home theater forum were like no 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 turn it turn it the other direction and literally within you know 15 seconds i had an absolutely perfectly aligned picture <clears throat> and it's better than it's ever been but that's not even the big change so our buddy dave fisher um was uh, he and I both had considered going out to the Kansas City projector shootout that happened last month. Uh, that was run through AVS, and they they put about 15 different projectors through their paces. But mm-hmm. the big conclusion from the um, the shootout was that running everything through either a Mad VR um, device or using one of the Panasonic Blu-ray players or 4K players using the kind of fake tone mapping, static tone mapping that those devices have, uh, you can actually trick the players into, instead of having things authored at 1,000 nits, it basically scales everything down to 250 nits. So, I mean, when you're watching a projector, you say, well, uh, you know, 250 nits versus 1,000 nits, that's got to be a huge difference, but when everything is scaled right and it's getting the right information, HDR looks remarkably better on that device. So uh, I wound up uh, getting a, a um, $200 Panasonic uh, 420, and the difference was so remarkably better that I, I literally went through 50 of my discs just you know sampling the HDR on them. And it's, wow. n- it's not as good as OLED, don't get me wrong. OLED still has a significant, you know, bump on it, but it really, 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 really closed the gap. Now, there's downsides to this, right? It's only discs through this Panasonic deck. And if you want to do streams and stuff like that, you got to buy this mad VR thing and you can build a pc to do mad v, v, mad vr streams and stuff like that for a couple grand but if you want the commercial version that you know you could buy from a vendor it's like 15 grand and so that that's way worse than buying a whole new you know laser projector so that that's dead out for me mm. but now i'm kind of do i really want to spend 10 to 15 grand upgrading this very expensive already projector or going to a smaller OLED panel so I'm going to wait till you know more uh, more product comes uh, for these uh, projectors and see what happens throughout the year and see what happens with the pricing on these OLEDs but I think I'm pretty content to stick with what I got right now as long as all I'm doing is watching Uh, UHD discs on the thing and I can watch the streams on my, you know, 75 inch panel and on my 48 inch OLED up in my gaming room. So that's not a problem. Um, but man, it's like having a whole new projector five years after buying the thing, you know?
0: So, so how would you compare it, the image quality to what you and I watched together?
1: Okay. So which we should talk about. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the movie we watched? Let's tell the audience.
0: We watched the last duel
1: right and so on that right that the the level of detail was terrific right um, you could see you know uh, you know definition in skin you could see individual leaves and stuff like that on the 4k stream uh, but the HDR was kind of muted right the colors were a little bit off and stuff like that you'd agree to that
0: yeah and I was wondering if that was the the style of the movie, like okay, there's a lot of fog, a lot of haze yeah. gray skies and all that. If that's just what Ridley Scott wanted.
1: Yeah, so we could have gone upstairs and watched that on my 75-inch panel that's you know color perfect and stuff like that and 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 compared it, but we never did. But yeah, it, it's a little bit of both, right? Uh the the projector is incapable of keeping up to, you know, the the standards of OLED and, and FALD. But also Ridley Scott did use kind of a, a, a muted palette with, with it. And there's not a whole lot of HDR in that particular movie. Mm. But then you put on something like Ghostbusters Afterlife, which just has terrific HDR through the whole thing, and you can really tell the difference. And so right. so if, if I was to go, and I can do this, I can go back to the original settings, and I watch Ghostbusters on an OLED, right, and that's at a hundred, right? Because the the HDR is perfect. If I look at it with the old settings on the projector, I'd say that's like a 75. If I look at it with the new HDR, it's north of ninety, right? Mm. So so if OLED's a hundred, this is ninety yeah. and it's you know four times the size of any right. OLED panel. Because right. 65 is the average OLED panel versus 120 inch my screen. Is that worth spending 10 grand to close that gap? And how much can the gap really get closed with a laser projector versus an OLED? I've never seen one in action. Right, I've I've advertised on AVS on a home theater forum. You know, if you've got one of these new JVCs on the Eastern Seaboard, from Virginia to New Jersey or as far west as Pennsylvania. I, I'll drive and bring the beer and popcorn, you know, <laughs> and nobody's taken me up on it yet. So there's just Dude, so it few of them like, out yeah, there. Yeah, it sounds
0: like you've uh, got to breathe new life into your setup here. It so really,
1: it really did. And so I had um, a, a whole group of people from the, from the board gaming group come over and uh, we watched Ghostbusters and they were just blown away at that. Then I had a whole another group come in and I showed them the uh, Planet of the Apes, which is, you know, the demo material I use most often. And I watched it again with my mouth open because I'm like, holy cow, this is 10 times better with the HDR actually working. Oh, so so mm-hmm, it, it's mm-hmm. a whole new experience. So that actually <laughs> brings me to my next topic. Todd, yeah. you reviewed the uh, Lord of the Rings box set, right? Correct. Correct. And so one of my buddies had said that uh, he didn't think that the effects and stuff held up on it, and so for the last uh, week and a half, I've been trudging through the Hobbit uh, extended editions, mm-hmm. and personally, uh, I think he's out of his mind because when it looks good, right, that it's it's clearly in a league of its own with the detail and the HDR and. All, the, the cap- all of what UHT is capable of. I think where he's getting messed up is like in the dream sequences and the flashbacks and stuff. There's like a, a layer on top of it that's, tr- that's cutting down the, uh, the quality and, and, and muddying things up. And that's by design not supposed to look crystal clear. You know, also some of the some of the darker scenes, you know, maybe you lose, you know, a a little bit of definition and stuff like that. But to say that it doesn't hold up, I think is crazy, especially with the the CGI effects. I mean, I would put that up against any 2022 CGI uh, experience and still say it holds up fine. And
0: Uh, we're going to talk about CGI later on my pick. (laughs) Go ahead
1: sure sure well this is my this isn't my good bad or ugly so i'm just saying that uh
0: no just it, bookmark that because we're going back to it
1: yeah so todd what did you give that for video quality you gave it a five right
3: i gave all six movies a five now yeah. the hobbit though was shot in 4k yeah uh, 4k 3d mm-hmm. uh, and, and high, high frame, frame rate, rate. yeah Would the you... lord of the rings though was shot on 35 millimeter mm. and i'm wondering if he's and it was also ten years before that, I think. Yeah, you know, I haven't, uh, I haven't gotten and, and, to the Lords of the Ring yet, so we'll see. Yes, yeah, we'll so I'm wondering if he's talking about Lord of the Rings yeah. and not The Hobbit, mm. because uh, The Hobbit is a more modern film. Yeah, and one of the things that Peter Jackson did when he went back and remastered all six films was he did most of the most of the work on the Lord of the Rings films to try to match the look more of the Hobbit films. Okay. Um so that it you could watch and I've done this, watched all six movies back to back to back. In one day? Oh no, no. Oh, over okay. a weekend. Over yeah, over was, a holiday weekend. Yeah,
1: I was gonna say I
3: started the extended
1: Lord of the Rings editions. last Sunday and I, I I started the Hobbit last Sunday and I just got through the extended uh Battle of Five Armies last night, so it's gonna take me at least a week to get through the next three. So, okay. so I, I I'm still on your side, Todd. I, I would agree all, all three of them are definite five. So I think they I think those hold up, but I will hold my verdict on
3: the Lord of the Rings till I view them. Okay. Plus you have them all in Atmos now.
1: That is true, and they were terrific. And um, man, it, it just shakes the whole house. Speaking of Atmos though, um Brian, you know, again, I I use uh, the um, War for the Planet of the Apes as my personal Atmos favorite demo scenes. I think Ghostbusters Afterlife in 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 Dolby Atmos is way 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 more intense than it was in the theater in Dolby Cinema, and nice. uh, that's a bold statement, but I think it, I think it's true. There is just so much going on there that. I don't know anything, any other movie that uh, can compare to it. So if you get a chance to pull that one up in Atmos, I, I give it my highest recommendation. Uh,
0: yeah, I'm stuck with 7.1 for a while, but uh, I hear you. Mm-hmm.
1: <clears throat> well, I think that uh, that finishes up our reconnections, unless you got anything else, Brian.
0: Oh, uh, should we just mention real quick what we thought of The Last Duel? Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: Why, why don't you tell folks what you thought of it first?
0: And then I'll so go. this was this was the Matt Damon, Ben Affleck... Uh, what's the other guy's name?
2: Oh,
1: uh,
0: Kyler Wren Ren from yeah, Star yeah, Wars. Uh, whatever his face is.
2: Yeah,
0: he's, well, he's a good actor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Driver. Adam Driver. Adam Driver. Um, I had no idea what this movie was about. Mm-hmm. I just... I knew it was a period piece, but this was based on a true story, which appeals to me right. when I watch films more and more these days. Um, <clears throat> so, uh... I enjoyed this movie, actually. I didn't know what to make of it, and I thought Ridley Scott was done making these sorts of movies, but I guess he's not. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't so sure about Matt Damon's haircut <laughs> or or it's, why they— That's a choice, right? <laughs> but, but I think I, I accepted that a little bit more than Ben Affleck's bleach job on his yes, hair. Yeah. Like, i like, what the hell's going on here? Adam Driver is such a good actor. Yeah. It, see- I don't know if he was supposed to be the bad guy in this movie, but he's just so, so likable. I had mm. a hard time, you know, discerning who was the, you know, whose story it was, even though it was clearly, you know, laid out for us.
1: Did you see that divorce movie that he was in on Netflix? I can't remember the name of it.
0: I, was that with Scarlett Johansson? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hadn't seen it. Now he is a. You, you talk
1: about actors act, you know, acting, you know, acting like actors, man. I, it's just so smooth that you don't think of it as acting in, in, in that. And, you know, I, you know, that, that kind of movie where it's a uh, relationship drama doesn't really appeal to me, mm. but, but the acting in it held, held up, um, from both of them. So mm, I agree. No. I think, I think he's one of the best actors of this generation. Did you like the movie? Yes. Yeah. And, um, you know knowing that it had some historical basis and uh, just being a fan of that time period and and jousting and you know fighting and stuff like that. I, I was eating it up. I, I felt that going through the story multiple times the way that the, it's framed, and again, where's our spoiler alert? I, I must have that muted um (laughs) but going through the the story and from a number of different perspectives uh you know that that's the choice that it makes um it drug on a little bit at the end but uh but otherwise i thought it was terrific i thought it was way better than audiences gave it credit for let's put it that way Mm -hmm. because it didn't do Mm -hmm. well in the theaters i don't think
0: yeah it probably could have Benefited from cutting 15 minutes out of it somewhere.
1: Yeah, and it didn't really help that Ridley Scott was all over the news saying that the fault was in audiences and not his films. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, um, then what shall we talk about?
0: Yeah, (laughs) let's get into it, shall we? So anyway, Sam, we are here today uh, with Todd and Neil to talk about directors. I wanted to talk about my favorite directors also want to talk about my not so favorite directors mm-hmm. but i like the notes you added here in the document cuz there's different ways we can talk about it what what their role is like you said yeah. in here and um, just looking at their career as a whole i like all these notes here okay um <clears throat> want to start at the beginning can we start with just favorite directors no or sh- or should we start with, no, we can't with start what with you, with you have favorite. here
1: no, we can't start with favorites. <laughs> sure, Brian. What is your favorite director and why?
0: Well, okay. I think all we need to do for the rest of the show is talk about Christopher Nolan and, and then <laughs> vetoed.
2: You son of a bitch! There
0: uh, we go. Yeah. I found
1: my buttons.
2: You son so... of a bitch!
0: <laughs> buttons working now. Yes. Um, can we just can we just just go around the room here. Yep. Let's just throw out two or three of our favorite directors and, okay. th- and then we can sort of riff on them as we discuss the rest of your bullet points here. All
1: right. Well, we got yours out of the way, Brian, I'm going to be uh, a good host and I'm going to ask our guests
4: who their favorite uh, directors are. And let's start with you, Neil. So my, my favorite director of all times, James, Cameron for reasons I hope we get to talk about, but I would put in the handful of directors that I religiously follow. I put Christopher Nolan in that top three. Mm-hmm. I'm right there with you, Brian. Peter Jackson, David Fincher, Guillermo del Toro, Catherine Bigelow, and I hope he say, I hope I say his last name right, but Dennis Villeneuve
0: mm-hmm. uh, and Cronenberg. Okay, would, uh, would yeah. be among would be among them. Yeah, dude, nice, nice okay how about you todd
3: um old school uh steven spielberg uh robert zemeckis joe dante but i also would throw in uh james cameron uh del toro um that would be yeah
0: yeah yeah zemeckis and del toro these are ones that i would obviously agree with you but for whatever reason they just didn't come up the top of my list but Del Toro being that visionary and, and Zemeckis always have, have um, had embraced the, the, the newer technology to, to, to make films. Sam, what about you?
1: See, I, I would uh, I'd put a, a big uh, cleaver in my choices. and I would say that uh, the directors that I enjoyed from 8 to 18 are significantly different than the ones that I've enjoyed as an adult. And so, you know, 8 to 18, it was all about Spielberg and Lucas and, you know, a a few others in there. Um, But as I have grown into the hobby of uh, being not just a home theater fanatic but also a cinephile, um, I've been exposed to so many different things. And uh, I can certainly – I appreciate bad movies from good directors and good movies from bad directors. But I would I would, you know, add things like Cameron and, and um Tarantino and uh oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean all, all the ones that have been listed for sure. But I don't I don't have a favorite director as an adult so much as I did in my childhood. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does. I mean, give, given that there's so much more content these days, it's hard to keep track of everything and what everyone's working on. And there's just mm-hmm. so much good these days. Yeah, You know, it's yeah. hard to have a super megastar. Right. And even for, in the director realm.
1: Yeah. And for me, so much of the good storytelling move to serialized TV, uh, that, that that colors that as well. But, you know, I'm certainly a fan of, you know, J.J. Abrams and, you know, uh, you know some of the, the the folks that have kind of carried the torch for you know adventure and movies aimed at you know uh, you know not adoles- you know adolescents and young teenagers and stuff like that that's that still hits right in my wheelhouse.
0: But I'm right there with you, Neil. Cameron, I think is probably my number two. Um, but yeah, Peter Jackson, God, there's just so many good ones here. I'd actually throw in the Wachowskis now. Now, with the mm. exception being, of course, Jupiter Sending, which was god awful. But I think what I what I gravitate towards is not just how how uh, prolific or, or how talented the director is, but um, <clears throat> what what appeals to me more and more these days is the writer director. Yeah, of, of which Nolan has gotten into. Cameron's mm. obviously doing. Yep. You know, and then a few of these other guys are actually doing too. Yeah.
1: So, does one bad movie color your entire your opinion of a director?
0: Uh, no, not one bad movie, but it would be nice if the Wachowskis had a lot more under their belt, which they don't. I mean, th- th- uh, Speed Racer is an underrated movie. It's mm-hmm. a very well directed movie, highly stylized, um, but it's easy to poke fun of just because it's kind of silly. Right. But a- as a as as if you're looking at the directing of it, it's solid. Mm, I don't.
1: I, I I may have watched it once and dismissed it, so I'll have to check it out again. I guess.
0: Yeah, I mean, on the surface, it's kind of weird, but, um, but okay. So now we got all that out of the way. Mm-hmm. We're, I, we're I done like fanboying. What, what you got here? What's that? We're done fanboying. <laughs> yeah, I needed to get that out of my system. First. Okay. Um, and and along the way, let's let's pepper in some shitty directors. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but you know, we'll we'll just pepper some of them in. Um. Okay. So i like your question here sam um how much power does a director really have and i guess right. are we speaking more towards their their role in and crafting a film
1: sure and we, we've seen some remarkable flame outs recently right where we've you know had in, gone back to directors being replaced and then them getting their chance to um you know put out their vision as a an alternate take on the film and you, know, you know the obvious uh, one there's the the snyder cut and stuff like that so
0: yeah star wars did that too didn't they then replaced well, the
1: uh well i mean lucas replaced his own vision on stuff so yeah <laughs> so that's over that that's a good point man
0: when, i mean it's it's the producer who's working behind the scenes and who has you know hiring power over everybody including the director mm-hmm. i mean it's not until you get to the status of a nolan or a cameron where it's like you're calling the shots like everywhere
1: you know yeah that's fair
0: so um because i mean there's Todd, any, anything to add here on this i think some of
4: these directors the ones that have gotten replaced uh they've walked into a machine uh which has you know, I don't lament the the machine filmmaking process, the Marvel, the Disney, the uh, not the Disney, the Marvel, the DC universe, the Star Wars universe, because these are entertainment machines and they're well calibrated as part of their success. So I think what Sam was talking about with directors being replaced is like uh, Lord and Miller being replaced from Solo. Uh, right. And, and um, uh, Ron Howard having to come in. And yeah. then... The fellow who directed that was it uh, Colin Trevorrow, I think, was going to direct w- one of the next the, the, the uh, Rise of Skywalker or whatever it was going to be called and was replaced because he did a movie called Book of Henry that didn't do well. Mm. Uh, and they got nervous. And so these are when you're a director that's choosing to to sort of sign up to, you know, carry a film through. That's part of a much much larger machine or a much much larger puzzle. I think your, your singular vision or your stamp and your flexibility and your creativity has rules and that won't work for it. That's why you'll never see a James Cameron direct a Marvel movie, <laughs> even though he planned to do uh, Spiderman, uh, you know, way 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 back when, because mm. ne- the 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 rules are too uh, limiting unless. You know, they set those on fire. And I think you might see if Christopher Nolan wanted to come in and do a James Bond movie. Again, that's another sort of machine.
0: Yeah, you, he, he couldn't do it within the machine system. It would have to be his movie. Like, that's the only way he would agree to do it.
4: Right? Well, I think that's that's why he did Tenet. Because he was like, this is, I want to do a Bond, a movie that evokes the the right. theme and, and style and the idea of bond, but I'm not <laughs> tied to bond and the rules of bond. So or yeah, even guess, the
0: Batman or inception, it's like same thing. It's just like out all these bond overtones.
4: Yeah. Uh, that's what, when we talk about why, why directors are our favorite directors. The directors that can do these things, that are so driven, that have built themselves up, that have taken chances early enough in their career, bought that critical capital, and then brought in the box office gold to get themselves in a position where they can not dictate, but have much more creative control over what they work on and what ends up on the screen. I'm, I'm drawn to those kinds of filmmakers. And we should have said the Scorsese's, <laughs> uh, the Akira Kurosawa's, we should have said those names as, as the fantastic directors that we follow, but they're, they you know, they're right up there too. Although they may not ha- always have the power that they, they, that we want them to have uh, certainly in Kurosawa's case uh, towards the end of his career. But anyway, uh, yeah, I agree with you there, Brian, uh, maybe not within the confines of the system. They would never subject themselves to it, but I think that's why you see directors, shuffle in and shuffle out. Uh, I wish we didn't hear about it because it gives the production a bad name when it finally does arrive on the big screen. But uh, yeah, it's a machine, so they don't have that much power.
0: I'm glad you brought up the machine. I think with rare exception, like uh, within the Marvel system, you know, you have a a Taika Waititi coming in and adding his own creative flair and completely evolving the character of Thor and what those movies should be. you know, if you take a look at the Russo brothers, I think they came in and they, you know, they essentially were just in control of a well-oiled machine, just making sure everything, everyone was hitting their mark and doing what they needed to do. But does it really make a difference anymore who's directing a Marvel movie if, if so much of it is is already done in pre previs and worked out in the writing room anyway?
1: Yeah, but I guess from my perspective, you know. The Marvel movies are just such a small slice of all things that are out there. I mean, so can you judge an industry by what's going on there versus, you know, everything else?
4: No, but it's certainly the, a very large piece of the um, movie-consuming yeah. budget. Yeah, you know, and I'm not budget like money, but the time and energy right. that people put into yeah. and go see. Spider-Man's a great example. It's ridiculous how much money the last Spider-Man movie made during a pandemic when every other film struggles to even get, you know, notice that it's out. So there's something unique about the Marvel role in the state of cinema today. I don't begrudge it. I love it. I consume it. Uh, I, I'm a, an avowed follower of all things marvel between the tv series and their movies uh but it's it's a different kind of cinema
1: and so brian you haven't seen the latest spider-man right
0: correct i'm still catching up i have i'm back on black widow i haven't seen black widow yet and, mm. and nothing after that
1: all right but you're aware that there are like spoilers for that movie that have <laughs> come out
0: right uh, yeah I, i've been staying away from movie news really Past year or so.
1: Okay, so and the the, the one thing I want to say about that is I have to give credit to that entire production for keeping as much secret about it until even two and three days after it went live, and I think uh, audiences enjoyed it so much that they, you know, kept that kind of silence going. Whereas I think you know, like a lot of TV stuff is you know spoiled that day. So I, I'm I'm just impressed that that Spider-Man was able to keep that level of secrecy, and I don't I don't know if you can point to the director on it. I don't even know who did direct that one. Um, I, I know.
0: Does it even matter? I yeah.
2: Mean, so they've already well,
0: figured it all out behind the scenes. I mean, just take a look at that thing. I, I think you might have sent it to I me, did, Sam, yeah. or somebody. But like with with the battle scenes, like yeah. they've they've scripted it all out years in advance. Mm-hmm. You know, and still kept it secret.
1: That's the I know. Crazy, that, that's, that's, that's my a, point. Yeah. That's remarkable. Yeah. Todd, what do you think about this? Do you think that uh, we're, we're blowing it over too much, or do directors not have as much power as people might give them credit for?
3: Um, I think it depends on the type of movie that it is. Because mm-hmm. uh, if you notice, you know, Del Toro is, is, has gone back to kind of making independent films. Yeah, he just did after, that Nightmare after Alley, Hel- right? Right. After Hellboy 2, he kind of went back to doing... Um, more independent uh, personal films. And then, um you know Spielberg is kind of not really doing the big spectacles as much anymore. he's He's probably looking near, towards the end of his career at this point
2: because
3: mm-hmm. uh, he's getting up there in years. but um, but I do agree. I mean, I, I, I think when you look at a franchise like marvel or 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 Star Wars, And it really doesn't. It. it, I mean, it does matter the director that you bring in, but not as much. Um, I just finished watching Eternals, and and yes, the director had a lot to do with that movie. And and, yeah, um, from a from a cultural this week, but um, from a cultural perspective or just overall, just overall. Mm -hmm. I mean, but then you but then you look at like a, um. You know, the, the last Thor film and in the upcoming Thor movie, which are, you know, Ta- Taiki Waititi, if I'm pronouncing his name properly, uh, he's putting an interesting spin on, on that Thor character. Right. And kind of, and, you know, and after the second Thor movie, Thor needed a, a shakeup. Um, but...
1: Uh, Do you think any... And, and- do you think any directors these days, you know, Marvel or not, has what, you know, used to be considered the gold standard of a final cut authority?
3: Yes, I, I do. I, I, You know, I think, um, obviously, James Cameron does, because he's a perfectionist. Um, Spielberg does to some extent, but, the, uh, but, I mean, the studios have kind of turned away from doing mid-budget, in low budget movies and basically all they're churning out for the most part are big blockbusters and the big blockbusters are so heavily controlled by the executives and the producers and uh, where a director really doesn't have a whole lot of, of say, uh, in my opinion, that he may have had 10, 15 years ago.
1: Yeah, I don't. I, I mean, I get that the perspective is that it's all tentpole pictures these days, but I'm just gonna t- I'm gonna go down the list of what's currently screening at my local AMC. Jackass Forever. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not an independent movie, but it's not a triple A. Moonfall. <laughs> we can talk about that director in a bit. Spider-Man: No Way Home is still there. Scream, Sing 2, Redeeming Love. I've never heard of Kingsman. Wolf in the Lion, the 355, Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, House of Gucci, Belfast and Matrix Resolution, Revel Resurrections. And again, a lot of those are also co-premiering online these days which you know is a whole different conversation. But I mean, that's a good 50% of them is not AAA films. So I don't know if I'm off on my own here but I I disagree that it's all AAA these days. It's just those are what's getting the oxygen, but that's not all that's being made.
0: It does seem pretty remarkable that in this time that Spider-Man's making so much money. I did see that in my newsfeed. I'm Mm -hmm. like, wait, what? It's almost as if there was no pandemic.
1: Well, not only that, but it's one of the few films that isn't co-headlining on streaming. So you have to go to the theaters to see that. Oh,
0: man. Well, <clears throat> interesting. Um, I just got a notification, not to get too, off, too far off subject here, but I just got a notification that uh, they won't be requiring uh, Oregon State employees to wear masks in the workplace a- after March. So I- I'm wondering if that's just a sign of things opening up and life, quote-unquote, getting back to normal. And... You know, we we could stop worrying about having this anxiety. I, I don't know, but I, I just feel like the, the public may be ready to. It's always enjoyable to go to the theater.
1: Yeah, I've know. been I've been going to the theater for six months, and I think everybody there has been pretty respectable. And I'd say that you know half the theater is wearing masks and half isn't, and I've done both depending on how many people are in the theater. So, it's a it's a really weird world, and we can't get into the politics of it, but yeah. It, it's all it's all tied, you know, all, all of those calculuses are tied to that, so.
0: Well, um, getting back on the uh, agenda here, you know, how much power does a director really have, final cut, you know, I think it's, if you're part of the machine, yeah, you're not getting final cut. Right, but you, you're, if, you're if,
1: work for hire, right?
0: Yeah, but like if you're James Cameron or Christopher Nolan or a few of these other guys, mm-hmm. then that's, that's built into your contract. Like you're an artist and that that's, it's your vision. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and they, th- I'm always curious to know if there's ever going to be any like deleted scenes in, in Christopher Nolan movies. Like, cause what he wants,
4: uh, yeah. he
0: he puts in there he, like, they know, they just know exactly what they want.
1: Hmm. That's an interesting, you know, idea. I but thought it, there were some deleted scenes from the Batman's. No.
0: Um, there might've been, but, uh, I know there's a ton for Avatar. God, I, there was so much bonus material on those discs. Yeah. But when you make movies that long, you're you're going to you're bound to cut something.
1: Well, how many movies has Cameron put out total? Oh
0: jeez.
4: Um, seven?
0: Huh. Seven? Well, he did
4: two documentaries as well. He did Ghost of the Abyss and Aliens of the Deep, so if you count those, got Terminator 1, 2, The Abyss, True Lies, Titanic, Avatar, Aliens. Um, Aliens, Aliens of the Abyss, uh, so, I mean, 8, still, 9.
1: Yeah, 8 or 9 in a 30 to 40 eight. year career.
3: Piranha 2. <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah. yeah. See, Piranha 2, is, reading about Piranha 2 is one of the reasons that I love James Cameron. So clearly he was trying to get his bona fides. Uh, I read the story about when he joined Roger Corman's production that he was instantly hated because he figured out how to do everything and got himself so ingrained in in how to make movies and the production he basically learned to do everything that he rose up the ranks pretty quickly and, and within a couple of weeks had a small crew working under him so that's that is a creative drive to to make movies but piranha too because he was obviously shuffled off and sidelined, and he had to f- from, fly from the filming location to go Yell at the the person who was controlling the purse strings, the the maniacal producer who was interfering with everything. But he would break into the studio uh, or the editing room every night and recut the movie the way that he wanted to, because someone else was cutting his movie and he he didn't like it. Right. That's why I love a director like James Cameron. He does what he has to do in order to get the film that he thinks needs to be up on screen, even if it's a piece of crap like Piranha 2, because he knew his name was
0: associated with it. That's Mm -hmm. why I like a director like James Cameron.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And about directors, you know, so, okay, a producer's like, okay, I got a bunch of money, I want to make a movie, but I don't know how to speak to the actors. I don't know how to put this together. I need someone to come in here who's got those – uh, people skills to, to get what they need out of the actors to get the good performance on screen. And if they're talented enough, they, you know, maybe they don't need a whole lot of direction, but if you're behind the camera and you're looking for something specific, you, you need someone with that eye to be able to discern right then and there, if they got the performance and, you know, producers, they, they may not have that expertise. They got the money. They know what's going to perform well at the box office, but they need someone who gets those performances on, shot on camera. And who can talk to the technical crew and who can talk to the wardrobe people and who knows what are the what the elements are that will make a good movie. So sort of segueing into our next bullet point, but like what's the best analogy for director? A conductor? Yeah, maybe. Uh, I like what you put here, Sam, dictator or right. somewhere in between. It, it it does depend, right? Because if if they didn't write the script, then the story's already there. So it's just taking what's on the page and making it happen.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, James Cameron's more like a dictator, but it's it's his thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I and guess... he lets people know that too. He's like, you know, I'm 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 boss, and everyone's just gonna listen to me.
1: Yeah, I guess. Is there a difference between a dictator and like an auteur, right? I mean, somebody with a vision versus just somebody who not even artistic, but a, a drive to get something made. I don't, I don't know if there are directors like that, you know?
0: Well, I wouldn't cla- I wouldn't ever call Chris Nolan a dictator. It's just not his persona. Mm-hmm. You know, he's so soft-spoken, and he's just so... People respect him. So, you know, it's like you lead by uh, respect, or you lead by fear. Right. You, you know how, like, you're, you're a leader, right? And Cameron's like, yeah, I... <laughs> Well, I guess people do respect him, but like people should also fear him because, he, (laughs) you know, they will suffer his wrath. But, uh, you know, Chris Dolan's just so just so professional, just so soft spoken. And but he lets the work speak for itself. Um, So I think, you know, their demeanor also factors factors into all of that.
1: Yeah, and, and I I know that we had put the call out for some of our reviewers and other Home Theater Forum members to talk about directors. I I, I really was hoping that somebody who was a real Kubrick head would, would join in. Uh, Neil, did you say you've got a little bit of history with Kubrick?
4: No, only from the fan perspective. Mm. Josh, uh, the uh, reviewer Josh, Josh yeah. he, he knows more about Kubrick than I think all yeah. of us combined.
1: Yeah, so I wish Josh had been able to join up. Um, but yeah, cause I mean, th- that's an entirely different take on that auteur dictator kind of deal where, you know, doing things, I mean, 400 takes on something, you know, and.
4: Well, I think, I think Kubrick is a, a, a more extreme version of what Cameron is. I wouldn't call Cameron, uh, a, a dictator, but I also, Christopher Nolan is, is a, a a man driven by strong artistic cinema vision. He knows exactly what his piece of cinema art needs to be, and he will collaborate with the best of the business in order to make sure it happens. Uh, and include inclusive of that is, you know, writing it uh, to to craft a story that's compelling. And I, I, you'll you'll be jealous, Brian. I recently rewatched all of christopher nolan's movies in a row
2: oh yeah nice because
4: i I wanted us i wanted to see his progression i wanted to see how he got from uh following and uh, oh
0: you even included following
4: yeah and memento all the way to tenet which is this this big beast of a film that confused so many people but, but i wanted to watch his artistic vision and his his drive and i could see his work for hire element in the film insomnia which is a good film but it's yeah. It's, it's one of his most normal
0: yeah, films. it uh, is.
4: But he but he quickly turned that around when he did the commercial film, he did the Batman Begins and then he did Prestige, which is a fantastic film. And then he did not Dark Knight and then he did uh, whatever he did after Dark Knight. But anyway, a fascinating. But he's a collaborator and he's a, he's so enamored with cinema that his work an effort is to bring the best thing up on screen. And he is unrelenting in his pursuit of that, but he just does it politely because he's English. Um, <laughs> ja- James Cameron. How convenient. Is, uh, how convenient. <laughs> James, James Cameron is a, is a tactical technical God. And I yeah. don't, I don't say that lightly who has a, an artistic pursuit. And so and I read this quote because I have a, I have a couple of books on James Cameron. One is a, co- a collection of interviews with him, so I know I know quite a bit about him and his his style. Uh, but because he knows how to do everything on the set, he knows how to do every job there is in making a film. When he has someone, and he knows exactly what he wants to see, and making a movie is a team sport. Uh, He couldn't do everything himself. He's not making a single-camera self-portrait film in a bathroom. He requires hundreds of crew and dozens of actors and back-end special effects crews in the old days building miniatures and nowadays building files in in computers. So he requires... That's why the auteur terminology is a bit of a misnomer because no one does it, no man is an island, as it were. Mm -hmm. But because he knows how to do everything... He's able to command that that thing, that little bit of lighting over there or that whatever the heck it is, you know, a bit of scenery in the back there needs to be exactly the way he imagined it Mm -hmm. because that's his artistic drive. And that is, you know, his techniques might be a bit abrasive. Uh, People on the abyss would have T-shirts that said, uh, what are you complaining about? He's letting you breathe. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And. But people who work with Cameron go back to work with Cameron. And that tells you, I think, more than anything else, that the people who can survive the journey, who understand the artistic drive and then, you know, realize what it meant because they see it up on screen. They see Aliens up on screen. They see Terminator 2 up on screen and they think, okay, well, it was worth it. there's something to be said for that almost dictatorial, but not quite the crazy that Kubrick tended to be. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but but,
2: but
4: Cameron's also adaptable. So he will take the reality of a circumstance and then he'll invent the thing to go make that thing happen. But he specifically chooses uh, films that are very, very difficult to make because either the technology isn't there or it's going to require going down to Titanic to, you know, in a submersible to check it out. Like he will, Choose these very, very tough pursuits. And I think he he's right there on the edge. There was another story about uh, it from true lies. Jamie Lee Curtis, they they wanted to do it live. So the sequence on the 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 bridge, the two bridges down in in, uh, Key West in Florida. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They wanted to do in camera and with the actress, the scene where she's being, uh, she's out of the top of the sunroof in in, in the truck that's going to fall over the edge of the the bombed out hole. Right. And grabs onto the helicopter, uh, you know, foot and gets pulled to safety. It's a brilliant (laughs) sequence in the film. It's a brilliant shot because you're staring right at Jamie Lee curtis and cameron said i'll be up there i'll be in i'll be filming i'll be right there with you hanging on the side of that thing in order to make sure that you know because he's willing to get down there and get dirty and do the thing yeah. so that you know that i'm not just telling you to go do it because i'm not a dictator saying make this thing happen i hope it looks good i'm going to go drink some tea
2: right
4: and he's, he's going to be up there with you that's why i respect cameron so much
0: yeah. And he knows, see, that's the thing. He knows that he has to give the actors confidence in him. Um, because if he's asking them to do this crazy stuff, he, he understands what he's asking is a lot. So to, to be able to be, be right there with him, that that's a really good example. Um, I was thinking of, you know, when you were talking about how he's like this technician, right. Um, there were, I was watching the behind the scenes for Aliens and there was this one shot that they needed of the face hugger running towards somebody and they weren't able to do it correctly with animatronics, like making it go towards, but they were able to pull it away. But there was rain or there was water dropping in the shot. So he's like, well, just film it, uh, pulling it away with, with the water. And then some somebody was like, uh, well, yeah, but then it's going to look like the water's going backwards. He's like, it's okay because you're only seeing it for a split second. You won't even be able to tell. Like having the foresight to know that what the end product would be, even though there's, it's not a perfect shot, th- that no one would would be able to tell. Like that, that's a, that's a really good explanation because he is capable of seeing through, um, or rather, understanding the the process. And, and you know, his job, his job, his job. He can do it all. And you know that's where that's where he comes from. So that that that's what makes him a really effective director. Mm-hmm. Definitely, like you said, adaptable for sure.
1: So, what's your yeah. take, Todd? Do you think that there's uh, there there's some room in the middle here, or do the directors that you gravitate towards to tend to be one extreme or the other?
3: Um, I kind of gravitate towards the uh, collaborators because um, mm-hmm. I'm kind of that way myself. Having you know directed. Uh, student films back when I was a kid. And, you know, I tried to do everything on, on my first several films, and then I went and hired a cinematographer, well, not hired, but I asked a guy, a friend of mine who was a cinematographer, to shoot the film for me while I directed, and it's a completely different looking movie than anything I ever shot before. So, yeah, I mean, it, there are the collaborators, and I think that, you know, Spielberg is definitely one. Um, Zemeckis is probably a little more controlling, from from what I understand. But uh, Joe Dante is definitely very um, collaborative, but he he has that dark humor twinged to, to his to his work that that's what I like about his stuff. It there, mm-hmm. it, it could be the most scariest thing but there's going to be this little bit of dark humor in there that is just going to be so off that it it makes the film just so much different than what you would expect
1: yeah the one thing that i could recommend is if anybody ever wants to to get what that letting go feeling is from being part of a production like this is you know T- take a uh, take a weekend when it comes around to your town and try the forty eight hour film festival, and find a meetup that's doing it in your area, because man, um, you know you can write a script and then you hand it over to sixteen other people that are gonna, you know, beat it up and make it their own. You can be the director and you get handed a script and, you know, y- you've got something to start with and then have to take it the rest of the way. You can be the cinematographer and have to you know try try to do your best to get what the director's asking for, or you can be an actor. and you know, maybe you've got some training and maybe you don't. And uh, you've got to live with uh, taking that direction from maybe somebody who's never tried it in their life. So uh, I, I give a big thumbs up for that it's it's a lot of fun. so mm. uh, So my experience has been pure collaboration obviously um, you know none of my stuff is you know feature length or of any high quality. but just that experience is you know I, I don't care what industry or what you do. I mean you can take that stuff back and apply it to whatever you're working on. you know for me, you know you know who I work in a collaborative job to begin with, but all those things all those jobs are very very highly well defined. And you get into a, a, a crew-type operation like the 48-hour film festival. It can be really eye-opening.
0: Yeah, you know, I might have to give that a shot someday. That, yeah. That sounds like fun to, to, to like, collaborate with other people because, you know, I'm, I am I I do like the whole jams, camera, and approach where you sort of know everything a little bit about everything. Mm-hmm. But it's always nice to be able to work with people who really specialize. Like, oh, I'm the lighting guy.
1: Yeah, yeah, know. yeah, for sure.
0: <sighs> I know lights.
1: But I mean, it's really humbling to show up and say, "All right, I'm going to be the director on something like this," and then mm-hmm. realize, a, you've got a budget uh, of time and money and people's willingness to put up with whatever bullshit's happening. So, it's mm-hmm. a, it, it's an experience.
0: Sam, you had a question here um, on your on your on the agenda here. Who yeah. had the best career? Ooh,
1: what do you think, though so, Where where would you I- go?
0: Well, geez, I mean, I think obviously a lot of the, our favorite directors are still working, So, mm-hmm. but if you were to ask me right here at this moment, I mean, I'd, I'd say the argument could be made for Spielberg.
1: You know, you know I was going to say the same exact thing, and I thought it was going to be controversial because Spielberg, for me, was all about those action-adventure movies when I was 10 to 15, and now he has directed it to something with a higher purpose and deeper artistic intent not not that he wasn't artistic to begin with but the subject matter and maturity has changed you know there's a, <laughs> a hell of a big jump between you know E.T. and Amistad you know
0: oh uh, yeah well what what's the latest that he's done
1: I don't know you West guys know Side,
4: West Side Story West Side
0: Story oh, yeah. yeah duh duh uh, uh,
1: and if that um, was his last film, would you know what would that say about that career? You know,
4: has uh, anybody I, seen it? No, but I don't know that it would say anything negative. About, I know there the the diehards who prefer the sixty-one. I mean, there's a whole thread about it on Home Theater Forum, uh, a very circular conversation <laughs> <laughs> about it. But I don't think it would say anything. He he did a film for him. Yeah, He loved that film. He wanted to make a film that had a tad more authenticity that afforded today's age, Uh, and he did it. He made a few different artistic choices. He kept a lot of the artistic choices from the previous version because they were ingrained in his experience watching that uh, on the big screen. So I think he produced something that he made for him, and I'm enamored that he got to do it, and I can't wait to watch it, and I'm not Mm -hmm. a big musicals fan. But Steven Spielberg directing a musical, even if it was a commercial failure, I think there's as much to do with the adults not going to the theater during a pandemic uh, as it is disinterest in a long musical, as it is, you know, disinterest in a remake of West Side Story and all that kind of stuff. I think there's a lot of factors that went into the the 36 million that it only made in the U.S. so far.
1: I mean, I, I'm, I'm certainly willing to admit that Steven Spielberg has earned an ego boost movie, but to me, there's a real thin line between that and a shot-by-shot shot remake of Psycho, for example, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, do I wish he had, you know, put his take on, you know, something more original? Sure, but, I mean, that's his career and his choice, so who, who are we to... to you know, to, to to second guess that I guess.
3: Mm.
0: Well
1: he's, yeah, I have to say
3: uh, go ahead, Todd. I have to say I was a little disappointed that he chose West Side Story as his musical because he's been talking about doing a musical ever since nineteen forty one. Not the year. The right. Movie. The movie, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and at that you know, and and watching the one dance sequence in nineteen forty one, it's like, yeah and I've been, you know, really looking forward to him doing a musical and, you know, I do want to see West Side Story, but, you know, it's, but I was also a little disappointed that that's what he chose.
1: Sure. We could have gotten Steven Spielberg's Hamilton, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. He is sort of like, you know, you, you can classify him as like, you know, America's director. He touch, he makes yeah. these films that are more cultural, you know, speak to our culture mm. And um, it, you know he's got that likable personality, like Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. So, he's but he, just, he's, he's not like he
1: doesn't shy away from tough subjects either. But they're buried, right? So, well, I mean, Amistad obviously was was pretty in your face. But you know, especially in the the earlier works, you know, there's there's pain underneath a lot of the stuff that he's talking about, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I, I don't ever feel like Spielberg um, reveals a, the fundamental profound truth about anything. There, there's It always reaches, it's got a boundary. He's got a limit to how far he takes something. Um, I think sort of keeping things mostly safe. I don't know if this is really making sense, but, you know, he he's got to be that, you know, he has a reputation to uphold, you know, he he can't take chances like maybe another director could, because that's not his, it's not his MO. I would say, I think Schindler's
4: list was his great risk taking, because that is very dark subject. It's also deeply personal to him. And there was a huge, I, I agree with your general sentiment, Brian, I do. I just think Schindler's list is the exception to that sentiment. And I think it's a, that it's not that someone could watch that film and not give it a perfect grade, blows my mind. I'm sure there are legitimate reasons why people can, have issues with it. I just can't see them. I think it's a flawless masterpiece. Can you? Well, let watch, me ask you. Sorry, go ahead.
1: Sam. Can you watch Schindler's List and say, "Oh, this is definitely a Steven Spielberg movie"?
4: you can in some sequences or how he moves the camera or how he uses reflection there are his signatures through it but it's also it's also shot very different there's a much higher contrast it's it's more striking and harsher imagery obviously the subject matter is 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 incredibly difficult to take but you can see his dna through that and i think of all the directors that we've mentioned tonight, each one of them has a recognizable thing that you can say, Hey, I know I'm watching a Quentin Tarantino movie, or I know I'm watching Christopher Nolan. I know I'm watching Spielberg or Scorsese or or Kurosawa. Kubrick for
1: sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 So let me ask you, let me ask you this though, Neil. Um, I've watched the movie once. I, I remember certain scenes like, you know, the, the, yeah, like the, uh, you know when they're taking they're separating the parents from their children and they're kind of like, you know, crying and all that. I mean that that's a very hard emotional scene to watch.
1: The red dress girl.
0: Um I uh, <laughs> but I I don't I don't recall it being like did, did it show any like gas chamber stuff? Did we see any of that?
1: It's been 20 years since I saw it.
0: Like I feel like if David Fincher were to have directed this, it would be an entirely different movie. <laughs> it might have been more
4: bleak, but Fincher gravitates towards some very dark and very bleak places. Just watch his Mindhunter show, which is a fascinating show on Netflix that goes mm. to some pretty brutal places. I've seen Schindler's twist, uh, Schindler's list exactly twice in my life, once in the theater and then once when it came out on home video shortly after. And I had such a hard time watching it the second time because the subject matter so dark it was so heavy that i've not watched it since but i there are moments in that film that are seared into my brain mm. um as just being viciously brutal and there are sequences involving the gas chamber in that film as i recall okay,
2: okay.
0: yeah I, I would agree yeah so i mean uh, but in general you know spielberg doesn't go as dark as fincher or, you know, some others, but, uh, you know, that's just not him, but that's, and that's okay because he still has an emotional punch.
1: I don't know. I, I, mm, I say saving private Ryan is
4: as dark as anything that you can, can throw out there.
2: Mm. Yeah.
4: Yeah. That there, I still can't watch it to this day. It, no. and I don't want to spoil the movie for anyone who's seen it, but it, it it's one of his best films, probably his second best. And I would say Schindler's List is his finest accomplishment, but right below that is Saving Private Ryan, and right next to it is Raiders of the Lost Ark. But in Saving Private Ryan, there's a sequence near the end where they're in that bombed-out town, and there's a struggle between a German yeah. officer and a, an American yeah. GI. And they're struggling, mm. and they're fighting with a knife, and someone doesn't make it that sequence of that young man's death, it still haunts me. And I think yeah. when you put that kind of brutality on film and you really show the war as it actually is, rather than a sanitized version that we were all so very used to, I think that is another risk, quite frankly, for a director known for his sort of fantastical elements. Um, but yeah, it is the brutality to saving private Ryan that can
0: be tough to chew sometimes. Hmm. Um, Next question here. Uh, who are you most excited about from the crop of new directors? Sam, these are great questions. Hey, I do I my gotta, best, I man. I got to commend you here. These, these are great.
1: Well, I I, I thought you were going to come up with a similar list, and then when I didn't see it, I'm like, oh, we got to talk about this, man.
0: No, I, I should have. It's just you know, it. it I'm sorry. <laughs> you, so- you you, you saved the day here with the with these questions. It's great. Okay. Um, I have I have my thoughts, but I'm I'm eager to hear your thoughts. Uh, let's throw that to our guests first. How about you, Todd? I'm sorry. What was the question? <laughs> We're talking <laughs> about new directors. New, like new and directors. young directors, uh, relatively speaking, or, or even brand new, whatever.
3: I, I'm I'm liking uh, Taiki Mm-hmm. His stuff is kind of odd. Um, not really sure about any other... I haven't really seen many new directors, actually, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Um, that's the only one I can think of at the moment.
1: Okay, how about mm. you, Neil?
4: Ryan Coogler springs to mind. Yep. There's a there's a man with a vision and the expertise to go get it. Oh, yep. Yep. Uh, I'm, he's not that new, but Wes Anderson, uh, that is such a unique
2: yeah, signature
4: voice in yeah. cinema that is so refreshing uh, that I love. The directors of uh, John Wick, I'm gonna blank on their name. I'm trying to reach on my shelf here to pull one of them off my, my thing here. That is an action voice. Uh, oh, Chad, Chad
0: Chad Seleski, yeah. yeah, yeah.
4: There's a great uh, cinematic voice, especially in the in the uh, in the action genre. Um, I, I would Denis Villeneuve is still relatively new. He's only got a handful of movies under his belt, but progressively more fascinating uh, product uh, with every film that he's done. If you've not seen Prisoners, yeah. go watch that movie for That's How You Do Tension, Drama, and Thriller wrapped into one moody, brooding piece of brilliance. Uh, and then he directs Arrival, and then he uh comes out with blade runner 2049 and then he did dune just recently that is a that is a fascinating director uh, you're, you're spot
0: new. on he is he's he, everything he touches he, yeah he did uh what's the other one um benicio del toro
4: oh sicario oh
0: yeah 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 uh i i can't wait to see dune um but yeah, everything he touches is, is just gold. He's definitely one of those up and comers. Um, The other one that came to mind, I keep, I've been saying this one for years, Sam, and I haven't yet seen the movie, uh, the new Bond movie, but, but Carrie Fukunaga just simply yeah, because yeah. of the, the first season of True Detective,
2: Yep.
0: him, Neil Blomkamp was on that list. I'm not sure what happened to him. Does anybody yeah, know? No
4: idea. Yeah. <laughs> He ran into some issues after uh, Chappie didn't do well. So he sort of retreated, started his own visual effects studio, Oats Studios or something like that, and they produced a whole bunch. It's on Netflix, actually. It's fascinating little snippets of sci-fi genre pieces. Uh, You should definitely find it. Uh, And I think he's just putting together what his next move is because he was going to do an an Aliens movie with –
0: that would have been awesome. Sign
4: yeah, me up. But <laughs> that got kiboshed when uh, I think Ridley Scott's like, no, I'm, I'm I'm, still interested in going into this universe. Uh, so yeah, let's well, pause. Yeah, Ridley was
0: wrong. They should he have gave it to Neil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: So I'm going to yeah. take this in a different direction, Brian. Um, mm. There are a number of, of directors that I'm really excited about and thing, people that I'm watching with interest. But the thing that occurs to me is just how multicultural it is. Uh, it's not just all a bunch of old white guys anymore. Uh, you've got uh, people like Jordan Peele and Steve McQueen, who are you know pushing the envelopes from from that perspective. Uh, you you already mentioned Ryan Coogler. Uh, Agreed on Ryan Coogler yeah. by the way. Greta Gerwig uh, has just got a, a really really interesting perspective on stuff and a, a vision uh, you know I didn't really care for either Lady Bird or Little Women but you can't uh deny the 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 vision that was put on them uh but the one guy that I'm really super enthused about uh is uh, Robert Eggers and uh you know just the stuff he's been coming up with including The Witch and The Lighthouse that is right in my wheelhouse and I I can't wait to see what he comes up with next.
0: Mm. Yeah. uh, Thanks Sam for bringing up, uh, women directors, um, as well as directors of color. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, so, so much of our, well, at least so much of, of my experience with directors are, you know, just the standard old white guy and and that's fine, but there are new and up and up and coming directors obviously. And I would totally agree with you, even though I did like the uh, lady bird and little women, um, and obviously, uh, Creed, Creed was awesome. So, so Eggers did Lighthouse, which I haven't seen. What's the other one? The Witch? The Witch. What was that all about?
1: Oh, um, it's, um, a period piece about a family on the frontier who've been excommunicated and, uh, are living out on their own and just things continue to go bad for them. Uh, and it's not clear whether, they are the cause of their own demise, or if there is a, uh, an actual supernatural force that's, um, you know, working against them. Uh, but it, it's, it's, uh, it's spooky. I'd probably the closest thing I would, I would, uh, tie to the witch is, um, the Blair Witch Project. If you like Blair Witch, I think you will really like the witch.
0: I'm writing it down right now.
1: Again, not found footage, right? Right, right. But that whole supernatural horror, what's going on, what, what is actually working against me kind of deal.
4: Yeah. And, and it's so spare. It's so yes. uncluttered. Yep. Uh, you're right. He's a brilliant up-and-coming uh, director. You should definitely watch The Witch. That is a brilliant piece of cinema.
0: Awesome. I don't know if I even heard about this one. I definitely heard of the lighthouse. That was the one with uh, Pattinson, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Monkey okay. Pump. Well, Monkey you know, you know who else?
4: Um, I'm probably going to pronounce his name wrong too. But Alejandro uh, Inar- Inaritu. Inaritu, yeah. Uh, yeah. Revenant and uh, yes. Birdman. Yeah. yeah. That's a that's a terrific um, director to watch. I Again, one of those directors. Whatever his next movie is, I'm going to watch it because his style is so imprinted on what he produces, what he directs, that I want to see that style, that, that, that voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, again. They, they probably
0: get Final Cut, too, I would imagine.
4: He does now. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, awesome. Uh, uh, looks like also some...
1: also thrown out to Jane, I had to look it up, Jane Campion for The Power of the Dog. She, uh, she knocked it out of the park with that, really, too.
0: Power of the Dog.
1: Oh, yeah, on Netflix, so you wouldn't have seen it.
0: Oh, is this a movie <laughs> or a series?
1: No, it's a movie. Benedict mm. Cumberbatch.
0: Oh, in the mm. Old West.
1: Yep. John Chu in the Heights and uh, uh, and uh, Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah, so a lot, lot of really cool folks out there.
0: Mm, okay. Uh, <clears throat> you want to take this last one here, Sam? Sure. You want to read it off for us? Okay, well, uh, you have uh, what director is influencing and or mentoring the most?
1: Right, and so um, when Neil had actually mentioned um, Roger Corman, if you look at the directors who actually worked on his crew, I mean it's it's like the it's like a mafia of of directors and people that are in crews and you know big in studios today. So who do you think is uh, is, is is working with the most uh, young directors. We we talked about the Bay. What was the word we used? The,
0: the oh, beta J. Beta
1: J's for the, all the directors that had worked with Michael Bay. I, I and I don't know if that's really from him as a producer as much as a director. But who do you think is you know either working with young artists or influencing young artists the most? And I, I don't have a good answer for that outside of Michael Bay. Which director?
4: Yeah, the only one that springs to mind, and only because I read an interview with him just recently, is Denzel Washington. Really? Because he? Yeah, because it, there there are a lot of actors that look up to him. He helped pay for uh, Chadwick Boseman to go uh, to uh, uh, acting classes or, or a course. So he was instrumental in Chadwick being able to make his way to, to cinema. But he just did the film with Michael B. Jordan. Michael B. Jordan's prepping to film in his directorial debut for Creed Three. And so Michael B. Jordan was learning from Denzel Washington on how to direct his first movie. And if you watch any clips of Denzel on set, whether he's an actor or whether or not he's, uh, directing like on fences and the, you know, the other movies that he's done, he's just spouts this wisdom, uh, <laughs> like a genius mentor. And he's got that mentor mentality uh, about him. Even when he's talking in interviews, you can hear him sort of speaking the truth of the world. So I, uh, you, any director that can help a young and upcoming director like a Michael B. Jordan find his footing on a big studio film like a Creed Three is doing the right
0: thing. Michael B. Jordan's directing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. my.
1: Hey, so I, I actually have a better answer for this because I, I knew that there was like some multicultural programs and like women in film stuff. But I just remembered that it was Ava DuVernay who has yeah. started up a, a, a new mentoring program. So that, that might be the real answer there. That's mm. a good
0: one. You Tom. know, one thing we didn't talk about, um, this is slightly off subject here, but is the actor-director. Ooh.
1: Yeah, who do you think does that well?
0: Yeah, Well, there's there's plenty of people who do it well. Um, Mel Gibson, Jodie Foster, uh, Kenneth Branagh.
4: Denzel. Yeah, yeah Denzel, like just,
0: yeah. Like you just mentioned, Denzel. I, I don't... Okay, Tom Hanks. Ben, mm-hmm. Tom um, Hanks. yeah
1: Hanks would probably lead the list for me.
0: What has Tom Hanks directed?
1: Greyhound and uh, a couple other things for Netflix. Uh, uh, what mm. was that new robot movie he did? That was awesome.
0: He
3: that direct- was on Apple, that was on Apple TV Plus. Oh yeah yeah. His first movie was uh, that thing you do.
1: Oh yeah.
0: Oh that's true. That's right. Um, I wouldn't necessarily throw Ben Affleck in there, but he is one of those actor directors. I did like Gone Baby Gone. Yeah. I thought that was mm-hmm. well done. Yeah. Cool. Um, can we talk real quick about shitty directors? No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, we're very positive here, Brian.
0: <laughs> real quick. Uh, I haven't been particularly impressed by anything Eli Roth has come out with. Uh, um, really? Mick, Mick I like, G.
1: I like a couple of Eli Roth movies.
0: Mm. And uh, Paul W.S. Anderson.
1: <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, that's. Uh you're those not a words. you're you're not enough of a critic
0: all right? w's
2: yeah
4: man go watch event horizon and tell me that man can't direct
0: oh uh, like, no okay okay everyone gets an exception fine <laughs> i like that one i like that one what i even like
4: those... his his resident evil movies they're oh, they're progressively is... sillier but yeah. they they find their footing in this really bizarre way i they're they're great popcorn movies and quentin tarantino loves resident evil so there's got to be something to it
0: yeah, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's just like th- when I—I I don't. S- he did Mortal Kombat, though, the original, didn't he? I'll give uh, him two. I'll give yeah. him that in Event Horizon, but the rest—it's just like it. It's just they're serviceable. It's like you have to enjoy the subject matter to enjoy the movie. I don't really <laughs> see any particular style there.
4: You know, which director I've it's- never understood the 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 appeal of is is Rob Cohen. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. He What's directed
4: it? the first Fast and Furious movie, which is the most serviceably entertaining of all of them, even though it was the original. But he did things like uh I think he did the first Triple X movie. Right. Um uh Daylight with yep. uh, Sylvester Stallone, yep, uh, yep. Dragonheart. Oh, don't talk to me about Dragonheart. <laughs> so these Evil. are a whole bunch of movies that are Evil. just okay. I just I would don't agree. Understand yeah.
0: I would agree with you, but his exception is Dragon, the Bruce Lee story.
4: Oh, he
1: did that? Okay.
0: I think he did that one, which that that was a beautiful film. I don't think hmm. you
3: guys remember that one.
1: I, I do. Todd, you yeah. sounded like you had a comment to jump in with.
3: Oh, I was just going to go back to Paul W.S. Anderson and say I really enjoyed Monster Hunter for what it was.
0: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah,
3: I see, haven't like, seen it I yet, don't need so.
1: to see
0: the movie. I've, I already know what it's going to be.
1: Yeah. But you guys are all off the mark. You, you, none of you have even come close to the worst director that's out there today.
0: Oh God, here we go.
1: Uwe Boll.
4: Oh yeah, <laughs> what a,
1: what a mess that
4: is.
2: <laughs>
1: but I think he is almost embracing of the title. So I don't know how, you know how, uh, how much he can lay at his
3: feet. Yeah, he he gave video game movies a bad name. Well, I mean, he gave
1: movies a bad name. It just <laughs> happens to be. That, you know, so let let's look at a couple of these here: Blood Rain, Alone in the Dark, House of the Dead, uh, Blood Rain Two, Postal, which was probably the worst movie, one of the worst movies ever made. Um, some of these I haven't even heard of: Blubberella, Zombie mask Massacre, uh, Rampage, President Down, yeah. So yeah, n- none of what you've listed is even close. Despite that, Uwe Ball only has three nominations on the Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Director, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm looking at this list and I disagree with. I'm going to say about forty percent of it because it's got movies like uh, The Avengers on it. It's got. Um, Let's see, Rocky Four. Uh, you know, so you know, there's there's some good movies in here that they that they nominated, but who do you think is leading with the most nominations for worst director since 1980? Oh, jeez. It's a tie, actually. I'll I'll tell you that spoiler alert. Can you give me a hint. Uh, we've talked about him tonight. Michael Bay. There you go. He's number oh. one with six nominations.
0: Yeah. His movies are tend to be, you know, kind of on the sillies side, but yeah. as a director, he knows what he's doing. Oh, he's a he's,
1: technician for sure. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. And you gotta respect him for at least all the all the crazy camera moves he's got. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some serious tech happening with his, his productions. The movies just be are you know, just silly.
1: So he's tied with Rennie Harlan for six and uh-huh. Brian De Palma of all people has five. Uh, M. Night Shyamalan has four. Oh, my God. bowl only has three. John Landis has three. Tyler Perry has three. And, you know, even Kevin
4: Costner's got two, so.
0: Oh, Kevin Costner, another uh, actor, director.
4: There you go. Yeah, Tyler Perry, actor, director. Who mentioned yeah. Sylvester Stallone, another actor, director.
0: Oh, duh, of course. <laughs> yeah. Yep, I like Tyler Taylor Perry and Tyler Gone Girl. He was he was great in that. I I think Tyler I Perry is an
1: stuff. underrated actor. I think he is really good and he doesn't give an, get enough credit as an actor. And I say that without having seen any of the Medea movies. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you think, Todd? You got a you got a, a director you love
3: to hate? Uh, Roland Emmerich.
1: Okay,
0: there you go.
3: What what Brett Ratner.
1: What what of yes. what of theirs are are you opposed to? Darren Aronofsky.
0: To? Oh, uh, I like Aronofsky. I Pie?
3: Come on, uh, man. Yeah, no, he, he's too weird for me. Yeah, but
0: yeah, I get that's that. that's fair. But he's got vision, man. He's got vision. Fountain.
1: What 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 bad Roland Emmerichs They're, are out there?
3: Uh, Roland Emmerich. Yeah. Uh, I okay. The, the only movie I really kind of liked of his was Independence Day. Sure. But he did The Patriot. Godzilla. Mm, uh, that's matters. the worst. Plot he has a movie matters. out right now. Uh, what's it called? Um, Moonfall. 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 Yeah. He's blaming, so y- he's he's all upset <laughs> that it didn't do well, in blaming Marvel. And I'm like, okay, but the trailer just dropped like two weeks ago. Yeah. Blame, blame, blame the studio, buddy.
1: Yeah. I I will buy Moonfall on 4K disc. So you you have that going for you, Mr. Emmerich. I, I almost went to use my uh, A-list to see it this week, and then I was like, nah, I'm going to wait for the, the home and my upgraded uh, projector for that.
0: <laughs> well, Sam. That
1: was a pretty good list. Uh, I, I'm really – got to tell you, Brian, first of all, before I say what I was – I'll say what I was going to say first. I, I, I really hope that folks on Home Theater Forum uh, will jump in and tell us who their favorite directors are and least favorites. But I was really surprised that not a whole lot of other people were interested in doing the, um, the 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 uh, inside the actor studio and films to be buried with questionnaires. I was really intrigued to see what people had to say on those, and a little disappointed that nobody mm-hmm. else, not too many, did it. Uh, shout out to John Rice for doing his, and I think one or two other folks did theirs.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh well, well
0: yeah, <clears throat> we try.
1: Well, you know what time that is then, Brian. I do, sir. Also, good director. We didn't talk about Sergio Leone.
0: Mm. Yeah, I'm sure we missed a few. Don't hate
1: oh, us. Oh, you know who we didn't talk about as a director? Who's that? Um, good, bad, and the ugly. Hint, hint.
0: Clint Eastwood mm.
1: as a director.
0: There you go. Actor director.
1: Actor director. Some of my favorite movies are Clint Eastwood movies for Yeah,
0: sure. he's he's competent at both. That's for damn and, sure. And
1: and what a career too, going from those spaghetti westerns to you know, a bunch of movies with an orangutan to, you know, just Oscar winners. I mean who does that?
0: <sighs> I've seen those ones. What were the is the what's the what's Any the, which one way with but the I don't
2: know. Right yeah, any, any any which, which way, way but, but loose. loose. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right,
1: right turn, Clyde.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um Okay. So-, so good, bad, and the ugly. Why don't we let uh our guests go first here?
1: Well, I really wanted Neil to go
4: first because his is a secret.
0: Okay.
1: What you got first, Neil?
4: So and the the good is the thing that I've watched recently, and I'm like, holy crap, that's amazing. Oh, no, you uh, can't
1: tell us ahead of time, so give us the other one first.
4: And the bad is something I've seen recently, and I thought, well, that's just terrible. Okay.
0: All right. Is that so, right?
4: And what right. is ugly? <laughs> what is ugly supposed to
0: be? No, 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 no. You just, you, you're supposed to just give us a movie. We're supposed and, to guess. Right. Which which one we th- right. think that you thought it was. So
4: throw the title uh, out. You haven't spoiled it yet. Yeah. Um, I'm going to, does it have to be a movie? Can it be something? No, it can be with, TV shows. Okay. Yeah, sure. yeah. I'm going to say the book of Boba Fett.
2: Ooh. Oh,
0: okay. Ryan,
1: I know you're a big streaming fan, so you're, you're right up there on this one, right?
0: Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to guess this. I think you probably thought this was good. Isn't it getting a lot of good press? Mm, It's getting
1: some mixed press, Brian. So the interesting thing about interesting as in could be really good, could be really bad, is that the last two episodes of the book of Boba Fett. And again, where's our spoiler alert here? I don't know which button it's on. Spoiler alert. um, The... Main character, Boba Fett, has not been featured as much in the story. And mm-hmm. that's all we're going to say about that. Okay. So, if um, if um, Neil is as big a Boba F- a classic Boba Fett fan as I am, he may be feeling a little disappointed, but I think both of us are going to be surprised at how they stick the landing on Wednesday. So, I'm going to c- say currently bad, but Possibly up in the air. Okay, Todd. What do you think, Todd?
3: um Yeah. Well, all the memes had been going around on Facebook. Yeah. Next week's episode, Boba Fett will guest star on the <laughs> Book of Boba Fett. Yeah. Um, yeah, because the last two weeks were were episodes of the Mandalorian. Um, Spoiler alert, ah, Todd, ah. Come on. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you know it's all over Facebook. It doesn't matter yeah um i'm gonna say good
1: okay you're gonna say good so brian you've got uh, two data points here uh what do you think about the book of the mandalorian
0: yeah i'm gonna guess good (laughs) but that i'm just so uninformed here but uh neil why don't you fill us in here
1: i'm
4: putting that on my good list oh okay so screw the haters exactly i don't i get it i I i think i think i figured out what the but people's problem is generally with the book of Boba Fett is that they wanted the gunslinger yes, style character yes, that we got gritty. in the Mandalorian. They wanted that guy to show up, but yes. what we got was who Boba Fett became after his uh, life-altering time spent in the Sarlacc pit. And I thought that was a much more interesting, much more risky story to tell. And I was fascinated by the the flashback sequences with the Tuscan Raiders and the slow piecing together. I I thought it was going to go one way. I thought it was truly going to be crime family, you know, Mafia-esque mm-hmm. type story. But then these last couple episodes and I'm like, oh no, but all bets are off. This could get real big real quick. Well uh, you're going to so-
1: be super angry on Wednesday when Boba Fett kills Grogu. <laughs>
4: Yeah, that might change things for me. But this moment, it's good. Okay.
3: All right. So what do you got for us, Todd? I have the recently dropped uh, Amazon Prime Video Series Reacher based on the uh, Jack Reacher novels. All right.
1: Can I I take this one first, Brian? Yeah. So, Todd, I have only seen uh, the trailer for this, but uh, the... uh, critique that I am most intrigued about uh, with this Reacher thing, which was positive, said that this is actually a, uh, a Bigfoot story in disguise and that Reacher is actually a converted Bigfoot who is an alien to most human ways and uh, emotions and is approaching it from an alien perspective coming into humans because he is not like other humans. And I, I realize that that, you know, is kind of a joke and stuff like that. But having seen the original Reacher, um, I think it's a really interesting perspective to take this and to play a part that was originally played by Tom Cruise in uh what was you know two two i thought were fairly good movies and one that has the most brutal opening of any movie that i've ever seen with the exception of possibly saving private ryan um it's uh it's intriguing i i think you're gonna think this was good ryan what do you think
0: i saw a trailer for this with no audio really just you know imagery um Mm -hmm. the guy was huge yeah uh it looked pretty decent to me, so yeah, I guess he probably thought it was good.
4: All right, what do you think, Neil? Yeah, I'm going to go with good for a couple of reasons. One, I've seen the first four episodes, oh, and I think, it, okay. I think it's bloody good. Okay. Uh, and two, the guy playing Jack Reacher is like the the character's been torn from the pages of the Jack of uh, of Lee Daniels, not Lee Daniels. What's his name? Who's who's the author? Lee Child. Lee Child. Yeah, that sounds. Lee Child. Yeah, Lee Child. Uh, from his book, this is the, the person I've only read one of Lee Child's books and it was the killing floor, which the first season is based on, uh, that's the guy right there, but I will defend to my death, Tom Cruise in that role because where he lacks height, cause he's only five, seven, uh, he's had an, an uh, a presence on screen and the film was oh, Christopher McQuarrie, another director we should have talked about.
0: Mm, true.
4: Um, that film is brilliant. The second one, not so much. The first one was a brilliant piece of cinema. Yeah, the, Agreed.
1: The interesting thing about that, that first movie is that we saw it live uh, at a home theater forum meet at the studio that put it out. Was it Universal? Paramount. Remember. Paramount. No, it
3: was Paramount. We, we saw it, I think, two months before it opened.
1: And I I sat there for the first half hour saying, there, there's no way there, this film will ever make it to the theater this is just too insane and too close to a real, you know, active shooter situation. Oh, that's right. And, and to their credit, uh, they put it out. And as far as I know, it never really made any kind of waves as far as, you know, inciting other active shooters or anything like that. But I was convinced it wasn't going to come out.
0: I totally forgot about that, but yeah, that, that was pretty provocative.
1: Yeah, man. And, especially for, you know, all the, the news that was happening around it too. So, but yeah, uh, what do you, what do you think? Was it good, Todd? It's good. Yeah,
3: it's good. I, I we, we, uh, we binged it over two nights and mm-hmm. uh, really enjoyed it. It's a bit gruesome in a couple spots, uh, particularly the second episode, but um, just a warning out there for the squeamish, but mm-hmm. uh, very good.
1: Do they have the, the same opening scene as what the first Jack Reacher movie did?
3: No. Uh, Spoiler no, alert. No, no. <laughs> Not but, so far anyway. There's, right. a, there's a scene, there's a shot of one of the victims in the second episode that is a little shocking and they kind of linger on it a little too long, I thought, but, you know, that's my opinion. Um, but good news for the fans who are enjoying the show and enjoyed the series. Um, just as we're... Going on the air, just before we were going on the air, I saw on Facebook that Prime Video announced that a second season has already been greenlit. Yay! Nice. Good.
1: Are they going to put out Blu rays for Brian?
3: Uh, <laughs> it's Amazon. Actually, it's Paramount. So Paramount's good. actually producing the show for Amazon. So good. it's a good
1: possibility. Possible.
0: There. Yeah.
1: Mm. All right, cool. All right, Brian, what do you got for us?
0: All right, real quick, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this Godzilla versus Kong, because I got two Godzilla versus Kong. All
1: right, if this is. Anything, well, uh, I'm thinking Kong Skull Island. I'm going to let our guests go first. What do you think, Neil?
4: Uh, he probably didn't like it. I'm not, I'm not sure if that's the bad or the ugly, but I, I don't think you cared
3: for it. Okay, Todd? I, bad, bad for me. I, I didn't like it either, I'm, but I didn't hate it.
1: Yeah, I didn't hate it either. It had some good... Um, you know action sequences, but it is no Skull Island, damn it. <laughs> so is it? It's definitely not ugly for Brian. I think Brian Brian bought this movie with his uh, his splurge for um, Black Friday. So I think he's going to come down in the good category.
0: Good memory, Sam. Uh, this is a bad movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, I will say that the the action fight sequences, you know, why didn't they just make the movie that and make it thirty minutes long? That that's all it really mm-hmm. needed to be. You know, all the ridiculous characters running around, like I could give a shit.
1: Did you um, like Kong Skull Island?
0: Yeah, but the same same. Uh... <laughs> Same perspective there. I would. I just want to see Kong. I don't need to right. see all the other stuff and all the monsters. All the, that stuff's so like awesome.
1: The human and connection.
0: I don't. Oh <laughs> uh, well. You know, So so the human connection worked for me in Peter Jackson's.
1: Oh okay.
0: Kong. Yeah, but that's um, Beauty
1: and the Beast, man. That's the classic yeah,
0: story. Yeah. You know? I watched this movie Godzilla versus Kong with my kids, and I said, Hey, remember that? I I have not played Nintendo, and I said, Hey, remember that game Rampage that we were playing <laughs> a month ago? <laughs> Well that's what this movie's gonna be. Uh-huh. Not so much, huh? Well, no, they loved it. And then oh. the next day they were like, hey, Can we play Rampage again? I'm like, Yes. Oh nice. So I well, anyway, you know I'm we... I'm
1: looking at the Rampage Cabinet right here. So we never did yeah. crack that. Oh yeah, up yeah, yeah, you, you got it. Yeah.
0: So uh let, let's go to you, Sam.
1: All right. So uh we already talked about the Lords of the Ring Six disk Disc Collector's Edition, which I, I'm thoroughly enjoying despite the the little voice in my head from my buddy saying it doesn't hold up. But, um, again, another streamer here that, uh, you probably haven't seen, but Pam and Tommy.
0: Yeah. Pam and Tommy. This has Sebastian Stan in it. And yep. some chick, I can't remember her from, name. She's been in a lot of good stuff. Yeah. And yeah, and some other things.
1: Yeah. She um, was in, um, baby driver,
0: baby driver. Yep. This looked entertaining. I mean, based off a true story, I, I hope it uh, didn't pull any punches regarding you know what, but um, I'd say it's probably... You, you thought it was a good movie?
1: It's it's a series. It, they're up to episode three oh, so far. series.
0: Yeah. Damn, okay.
1: Yeah. What, okay do you think, yeah. what do you think, Todd? And tell us if you've seen I, it, either Todd or Neil. I,
3: I haven't watched any episodes yet, uh, but I've been seen good press about it, so I'm going to say good.
1: Okay. Neil?
4: I think it looks terrible. Uh, I'm going to say you probably thought it was bad. I can't imagine it's good, but I could be wrong.
1: So, uh, for the record, it's Lily James playing Pamela Anderson, and she is fucking radiant in this.
2: And Sebastian
1: Stan is the only person on the planet that could have played Tommy Lee. Uh, he He is... invisible as an actor playing Tommy Lee who, you know, is an interesting character on his own, bit of a dunderhead. Um and the series is absolutely fucking brilliant. Seth Rogan is brilliant. And um uh Ron Johnson, what's the guy's name? Um oh ah, I'll think of it. Nick Offerman um is great. It's, this is the best series that you will ever see featuring a talking penis
0: yeah oh, <laughs> nice
1: uh, there is so much nudity in this uh, that I Hell que- yeah that I question whether it's um, prosthetics CGI or actually real if um, if this is Lily James being real or Sebastian Stan being real I will eat my hat. But both of them uh, are um, perfectly sculpted um, examples of human beings uh, playing really, really strange characters. And um, them on one side and Seth Rogen on another is just absolutely compelling TV. And who knew? And apparently it was based upon a really great Rolling Stone article, and uh, I have, uh, have slated that uh, to go to my Kindle soon because apparently mm. it's really great and from you know 20 years ago. So I don't know how, uh, how this thing's going to end. <laughs> As a show, obviously we know how it ends up um, in real life, but I'm along for the ride for sure.
0: Well, she's kind of petite. That was an interesting casting choice because I was like, why are they casting her? She's just nowhere near the same body type.
1: Mm, again, i I don't know you know what's cosmetic, what is prosthetic, and what is CGI, but they they make her, you know fold into the character of Pamela Anderson.
0: Got it. and
1: no. I, I I've heard a lot of Pamela Anderson interviews over the years uh, with her on Howard Stern. And the voice is identical, I couldn't yeah, tell the difference.
0: Yeah. All right.
1: So I, I highly recommend it. It's uh, it's popcorn TV. So.
0: Pam and Tommy. Okay.
1: Yeah. Give it a shot.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, you uh, know what? That
1: you got you got something for us, Brian. I, I want to. Can we finish this off with yeah. one more?
0: Yeah. Yeah. We got time. Okay. Uh, this one I'm really interested to hear what y'all think. Um, we're gonna go with Wonder Woman '84.
1: All right, um, I've got mixed feelings on this, so I'm gonna toss it back to our guests again. What do you think, Todd?
3: Ugly, ugly, just straight ugly. Um, yeah, I did not like that movie at all. Mm-hmm. Very, very huge disappointment. It's a complete 180 from the first film.
4: Yep. Okay, what do you think, Neil? Sorry, Todd, I liked it. <laughs> I really liked it. We watched it on Christmas Day. I guess I guess that was the day that it came out my wife didn't like it. I really liked it. I thought she had fun with it. Uh, I thought the first film was quite serious and was terrific as a result, but I think she genuinely, this is Patty Jenkins, the director, another director we probably should have talked about being in command of her craft. I thought she delivered something that was terrifically fun. There were faults with it, sure, but got one of Hans Zimmer's best scores of the past few years and he's done some really really good ones these past few years um so I couldn't hate it f- for any any reason um no I liked it
0: all right well, what about me what did you think what do you think I thought yeah, of yeah,
1: yeah what did you think oh I happened?
4: don't care yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um you probably liked it
1: Okay. All right, do I get a vote, a vote, Brian? Yes,
0: yes, you do. All
1: right, I liked the Serena Williams as Wonder Woman commercial a hundred times more than I did the actual Wonder Woman 1984 uh, movie. But there are some high points to that movie that I could see somebody hanging their hat on, especially maybe if you watch this with your kids, and I think that's the wild card here. Um, mm but I'm not going to go full blown ugly. I probably would have put it in the ugly category. Um, I think you're just going to teeter over the edge into bad.
0: This was ugly.
1: Okay, <laughs> that's fair.
0: I will agree, Hans Zimmer. Point. Uh, three other things I appreciated about this movie. It was bookended, at least on the on the on the Blu-ray, by. Um, Opening it up, one eight five. I, I don't. I don't know why they chose to just do it in the beginning, and the very end, and not in the middle, unless I missed something. But that was an interesting. Uh, I always appreciate that. Uh, the highway scene, the desert highway scene, was incredible. I really loved that. And the how I did not appreciate how they brought back a main character from the first movie, but what they did to resolve that character's storyline that i liked. Mm, that I, I've that, already that forgot. was emotional. That that hit me.
1: I've already forgotten what you're talking about, Brian. I I've put it out of my head so much.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> but we'll give it a big spoiler alert. Uh, well, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Oh, Todd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, let, we'll just say the w- w- one of the love interests. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the, the love okay. interest. I got you.
1: I thought you were talking about a an enemy. Gotcha.
0: So anyway, I couldn't believe just ten seconds into this movie. It looks like fucked up CGI fest. I'm like, what the fuck? This looks terrible. This is a fucking cartoon. How do you get away with this in this day and age, Patty well, Jenkins? I, what are you thinking? Well, I mean
1: that that's the whole 1984 angle, man. So you're 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 coming down hard on their artistic choices, not not the story
0: or whatever. No, it's a it's a nitpick. I'm just like we were talking about CGI in our earlier part of the show with with Lord of the Rings, and I'm like, it's 2021 or 2020, whatever, whenever it came out, mm-hmm. and it looks worse than Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings looked great, but that, this should just this movies now have no excuse. They should look perfect, and this looked ridiculous. I think it
1: was ridiculous by a choice rather than
0: budget. Uh, yeah, well, it it was not due to budget. That's for damn yeah. sure. Yep. I just, they make him, you know, the human figure, once it starts looking too rubbery and moving all around, <laughs> I, just, I just don't get it. Did your kids see it, Brian? No. Okay. No. But that but that was not my major complaint with the movie. The major complaint with the movie was all the ridiculous characters. Right. Uh, specifically the main antagonist. I like that actor, but God, they made him do some really silly shit in this movie.
1: Yeah, and I, I think a lot of the, the pro arguments for this was that, you know that 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 it's supposed to be for young girls too, right? And the the downside to that is that it's a very complex story with an, an unappealing um, storyline slash villain that I don't know would young girls would relate to as much as the hero side of it. So mm-hmm. I I don't know mm-hmm. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Well, All first right. one was good, yeah. Not, this one not so much.
1: Well, that's going to take us pretty close to two hours, so we uh, we got a lot, a lot bigger mileage out of this uh, than I thought we would. So I'm glad uh, you guys reacted well to the additional questions I threw in. Brian, I think you did a great job uh, getting us to this point and uh, getting us on this conversation, and thanking our guests for bringing some unique perspectives. Um, yeah, this
0: was fun. This is yeah. a lot of fun. Thanks, guys, for joining us.
1: Yep.
4: Thanks. Thanks for having us. Yep. Yeah, again, we will definitely always have great you
0: back. to be here. <laughs> Brian, you got anything to end with? No man, I think we oh Todd, look take a look at those microphones, buddy. We'll have you on again I will. Uh, I will. I will.
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. you're sounding better now, Todd. Well, What'd you change? I, I I think it's a setting on my sound card, so I'm gonna I'm gonna kinda oh, no, now into it's that back. Tomorrow. No, now it, it sounds yeah.
1: Yeah, it's it's back. And we apologize to our listeners. We we tried everything we could to get that fuzz out of there, but we knew we could hear Todd well enough to to get to get his perspective but we'll work on that tech issue and before we have him back on again all right awesome well, that's it for Thanks, me everybody i'm gonna go watch my brand new five-year-old projector and enjoy every second of that and i'm gonna have to think long and hard about what my upgrade move might be if not any so that saving a couple grand would be fine with me
0: that's true enjoy that projector sam
1: All right, Brian, good talking to you. Thanks to our guests, and we'll see everybody next time.
0: Good night.